Today's show is brought to you by HANA. For the past few years, I've been taking HANA One, an all-natural daily superfood with 30 wild-harvested herbs and adaptogens to improve focus, boost immunity, and increase stamina. HANA also sources the purest, highest-quality ashwagandha and turmeric. To get 20% off your first purchase, visit HANA.com, that's H-A-N-A-H.com, and enter the code CHAMPION20. Hello and welcome to the Champion Conversations podcast, where my co-host, sports psychologist Jim Aframo, and I take you inside the mental game of high performers. If you've ever wanted to learn how elite athletes, coaches, creators, and entrepreneurs use their mindset to overcome setbacks, serve as great leaders and teammates, and achieve their full potential, then you've come to the right place. I'm Phil White, and we're glad you're listening today. Today's guest is Coach Jeff Dillman. He was the strength and conditioning coach that helped Glenn Big Baby Davis, Tyrus Thomas, and the rest of a talented LSU Tigers squad win the 2005-2006 NCAA National Basketball Championship. Jeff then went on to win another ring in the weight room with the Alabama Crimson Tide under Coach Nick Saban. Jeff then served as the head of S&C for the South Carolina Gamecocks football team before heading back to Bradenton, Florida for a second stint at the world-renowned IMG Academy, where he works with the football program. A true servant leader and family man, Jeff is also an in-demand public speaker and has made keynote addresses for the likes of TRX. Hey Jeff, thanks so much for joining Phil and I today. Uh, we're so excited about this podcast and the interview with you and, and talking about all the great things that you've done throughout your career. You're at IMG now. Tell us a little bit about how that happened and kind of what your role is there and, and how that's going. Oh man, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, um, so was at uh, South Carolina for four years, you know, got let go a uh, year before Muschamp got let go. You know, it's one of those situations, you know, you know, you don't win enough games. That's what happens. And then um, always wanted to come back to IMG Academies. Uh, I was the director here from uh, 09 to 12 before I went to Florida and then Alabama and then South Carolina. So I always told my wife, I love it here. It's a great place. It's by the beaches. Everything is awesome. Awesome spot. And, you know, to be able to work with uh, young kids and develop them, it's just a great thing. So I'm back in a different role now. I'm back as the assistant head strength coach and I'm mainly responsible for football, but I'll fall and I also help with day-to-day management of things. Yeah, congratulations. They're lucky to have you. And it sounds like a perfect job right now for you. Oh, yeah, it's great. Work-life balance. You know, I get to pick my kids up from school every single day and, um, you know, get to sometimes take them to school in the morning. So, you know, they're they're allowing me to to be a father. And that that was really one of the most important things, you know, when when accepting this job. Yeah. Could you compare and contrast that a little bit to the, the years of sacrifice and, um, you know, having to turn the burner down on some things so you could keep the heat up under that college football burner? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, me and my wife, we, we, we calculated, I actually had like three or four days off in the last year, you know, that I was uh, at South Carolina um, because, you know, recruiting is 24 seven and you got to have your phone on all the time. You're expected to be in the office. You're having to have meetings all the time. If a big time recruits on campus, you got to be there because if you're not there and they don't see you, you know, then they're not going to get a feel of the place. And you don't want there to be any excuses why some of these athletes don't want to come to the university you're at. <clears throat> but then, you know, transitioning with COVID happening and that kind of woke up a lot of strength coaches' eyes 
and, and a lot of people in, in the work industry's eyes on, you know, working from home and, you know, being around the family more. And, you know, now it's, you know, it's night and day, you know, I'm actually going to get a week off for Thanksgiving. I'm going to see my, my wife's family in Maine. And then also, you know, I get time off for Christmas, a week off for Christmas. I get several weeks off during the summer and, you know, it, you know, I spoke with you last time, Phil, we were talking about, I got to travel with my family to Discovery Cove and got to go swim with the dolphins for the first time, really got to go do a family, true family trip and not have to be in the office. No, for sure. Um, but saying that, you know, it was a grind, but, you know, just from the highlight video that TRX showed at the, the TRX Trainers Summit, which for everyone listening and watching is how Jeff and I first met, you know, our great friends, Chris Frankel, who's now um, director of performance at a beaver fit and then um randy hetrick yep. and fraser quelch and all the great crew at, at trx so that was you know coach actually came across to me jim and i said man i haven't done this for a while because i was next up and um and he was like man you're gonna be great you know that remember they're here to hear you not the other way around and gave me a, a great prep talk and we've been fast friends ever since you know several years ago now but um you know, coaching that video montage that, that, um, that, you know, that you had, I think some of your Alabama footage, maybe some LSU and then from the Gamecocks, like I've rarely seen someone command a room like you can. So yes, it was a grind, but I feel like you, you brought a hundred percent effort. And, and as Jim often says, you were completely where your feet were. So if you were in the weight room with those young men and young women, you were 100% there. Right. And you brought it every single day. What, what is it? What was it about, you know, your upbringing or your development as a coach that enabled you to be so high energy and, and does to this day. And even when it's a grind to really bring it every single time you're there, you're, you're all in. Well, you know, it, it started young, you know, cause um, I had some coaches along the way that, you know, I got cut from sports. Um, I was a little spoiled when I was younger and, you know, I had one coach, I ended up in um, the seventh grade, you know, I, I made the baseball team, but got cut from football and basketball. And then, you know, in eighth grade, um, I only, you know, played football and baseball. In ninth grade, I made all sports. And, you know, back then it was junior high and high school. So we was heading to the high school. And the time I was heading to high school, my uh, baseball coach slash football coach, Big Barbarouche at the time, who's no longer living, but he was awesome. He sat down with me. He said, Jeff, he said, I'm proud of you. I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, I've never seen anyone like you that's been given everything. And then you got cut from all these sports and you're motivated to continue to drive and be, be better and not give up. Um, so, you know, that was some examples. And he taught me along the way about keep fighting, keep learning, keep growing and work harder than anybody else. And, you know, the positive energy thing, I've always, you know, they used to call me smiley during camp. So we've been during football camp, everybody's sweating. I'm just smiling, being happy, you know, because I've always been told my whole life, you know, what, be appreciative of what you got every single day and no matter what it is. And, you know, being influenced by positive people throughout my life and my career. And, you know, some other things people don't know is everybody's got a story. And, you know, right, you know, if people tell me, well, you don't know where I'm from. Well, it doesn't matter where you're from. You know, where you're from doesn't dictate where you are today and who you are. But um, 1996, you know, uh, I, I went to college at Elon College first. And 1996, I had staph infection pneumonia. Um, and then I was in the hospital for over a month. Went home with a pick line, was on IVs for over a month. Went from 285, 290 pounds to 220 pounds in a week. First time I've ever seen my ribs since I was a little kid. Um, and and I had people who are friends to this day come and, you know, walk me around, was positive the whole time and kept great energy and didn't act like anything was wrong. And, you know, that that also, you know, 
made me realize that, you know, life is short, you know, all you can do is just be positive because if you're negative, I believe in mental healing, positive and negative healing. And, uh, you know, this, it's a choice you make every single day. You know, there's a video out there, the man in the mirror when I was in South Carolina and I talked and I said, it's between you and that guy in the mirror. You got to make a choice every single day to be positive. You know, you can be positive or negative. You know what you're going to get. You're going to get negative things happen to you if you're negative, but if you're positive, the sky's the limit. You never know what's going to happen, and what you can achieve in life. And I've been very blessed along the way. I think people hire me because of my energy and how positive I am. Uh, but you know, you know that that's that. I'd rather be that than you know sitting around miserable doing nothing and being around other people that are miserable. You know, yeah. that's always been kind of my my go to. I love that, Jeff, because you know we can't always be the smartest person in the room, but uh, but we should all try to be have the best attitude in the room. And that's right. You know, with strength and conditioning, it's a it's a grind and it's tough. And and I'm, I'm a huge fan of strength and conditioning coaches in the whole field because you guys are readers, you're leaders, you know everything about nutrition, mindset, you know, and the game itself. Uh, whatever that sport it happens to be, has there been one most influential person in in your career? Um, in terms of strength and conditioning and, you know, and kind of teaching you the ropes um, and, you know, and how have they impacted you? Well, there's been, there's been a couple uh, along the way. Um, it started in high school, a guy named Todd Hager, Coach Hag um, is his name, and a guy named Tom Paris, my D-line, O-line coach, and they also work with strength conditioning. And, you know, they, you know, taught me about training. They taught me about strain, and they were always there for me. Um, first of all, they, I knew they cared about me. You know, that was the most important thing. And that's when I learned that it doesn't matter what you do if the kids don't realize that you care. Um, you know, and I'm passionate, I'm caring, you know, and, you know, it goes back to the legacy question that was asked at TRX. And I said, what do you want your legacy to be? Well, and I just brought up a little while ago, we're interviewing a uh, person for a leadership position. And I'm like, my legacy is every single day I come to work. I bring it all, lay it all out on the table. I'm positive. I bring great passion, great energy every single day, no matter what the situation is. And, you know, a lot of people can't, you know, compartmentalize that and separate it from their day to day. You know, they want to bring their personal life to their professional life. Um, a couple of others that have had major influences, uh, Tommy Moffitt um, at LSU, Coach Moffitt's like a father to me. I wouldn't be where I am today to, um, you know, if, if it wasn't for him. And uh, Gail Hatch, um, Coach Gail Hatch is an Olympic, you know, strength coach. He um, he was another influence in my life. And then uh, Scott Cochran, you know, formerly Alabama and out Georgia is another one, you know. And, and then you got Vic Valori and Joe Danos, who also we were the guys in the office, in the back office with Coach Moffitt. We 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 all had influences on each other, um, you know. But it, again, it goes to surround yourself with great people, surround yourself with people that are motivated like you, that are positive like you. And that, you know, have the mindset, the sky's the limit. No, for sure. Um, not to give anything else away about your leadership interviews or obviously tread on any toes there at IMG. But what were some other things when you were interviewing this person um, just around leadership? Like what are you what are some red flags, maybe if you're interviewing somebody? And then conversely, what are some core values that you look for if you're going to be adding to your staff? Uh, well, first of all, you know, hard work. Um, you know, if you're not a hard worker and I always say GSD, you got to have a get stepped on mentality. And if you're not a hard worker, then you, it's hard to teach that, especially at a certain age, you know. So we're always looking for somebody to work hard, for somebody to go above and beyond to be a solution oriented, progressive mindset person. Um, you know, and that's the questions we ask. We give them put them give them scenarios and have them explain how they would get out of the scenarios. Also, 
look at their body language, look at their demeanor, look at how they communicate with the, uh, with the athletes and how they communicate about the situation, or if they're sitting there and they have the pause and really think about it, you know, instead of just reacting right away and handling it the right way. No, I love that. Um, what are some things that some of those mentors you just mentioned taught you about how to be a man in this world, even beyond what it means to be a coach in this world? Well, Coach Moffat, you know, a couple of things Coach Moffat always said, you know, and I always would ask him and lean on him about, you know, um, interviews. I'm like, Coach, what do you, you know, what, what I need to do? He said, Jeff, just be you. They're hiring you. They're not hiring me. They're not hiring anybody else. They're hiring you. So just be you. Um, the other thing he always brought up and talking about energy and everything, he always says actions trigger feelings, feelings trigger actions, positive actions trigger positive feelings, positive feelings trigger positive actions. And the same thing goes with negative. He said, that's why you got to be positive every single day, no matter what the situation is, how tough it is. Um, you know, and you, you learn a lot by situations in your life that um, end up, you know, causing you to deal with adversity. You know, um, you know, I, I was a bartender. I waited tables for three years. I recommend that to anybody because you're in the service industry. You're having to communicate. You're having to deliver. And you want to serve them how you want to be served. You know, it goes back to the old saying in the Bible, trailers, how you want to be treated. And that really is what, what matters most in, in the world that we are today. And that's the thing that, you know, Coach Moffat taught me a lot about. And Scott Cochran, you know, was – you know what? For everyone. And I see the positive positiveness in everybody. I don't see the negative. You know, I was talking to an individual the other day in the weight room and he's tattooed top to bottom. And he's like, what'd you think when you saw me? I said, I didn't see tattoos. I saw your eyes because I look at your eyes. I look at you. And I said, some people have tattoos on the outside. Some people have tattoos on the inside. So, you know, it's not about what people perceive of you is but who you really are as a person and you got to dig deep sometimes you got to have those conversations with people and you really figure it out no i love that um you touched on maybe one of your favorite mantras or quotes from the bible um what what impact does your faith have on your day-to-day -day life oh man it's it's strong every single day i know that i can influence people in a positive way without without lord we wouldn't be here today um and, you know, I, I'm blessed to have my, my kids. Um, so we have twins. We have nine-year-old twins we adopted in 2012. And it happened really quick. We put in for adoption in July. And my little girl came home September 11th, 2012. The adoption wasn't even finalized yet. And then my boy came home October 11th, 2012. So, you know, being entrusted in faith and the good Lord every single day and, you know, make sure you walk in his steps and, you know, just make sure you treat people you know, right. And, you know, I, I'm a big believer in you, you got this good versus evil. All this stuff going on in the world today, we can talk about what side you're on. But at the end of the day, everybody knows what good is. Everybody knows what bad is. Just do good. Just do good and be good. And, you know, I always said, no, I don't like liars, cheaters or thieves or quitters. And, you know, that's one thing that, that's important. And it's always been a belief of mine is to continue to, to walk in the right steps. No, for sure. And we've, um, you know, ever since that presentation at Alabama, um, sorry, uh, about your time at Alabama, about your time at LSU, your time, you know, currently you were during that TRX trainer summit, you were, you were still with the Gamecocks. You shared some examples of, you know, you've got some, you're, you're, you're a big, strong guy, but there's some bigger and stronger guys that come into you. Right. And some of them come in with, 
emotional problems, who have, you know, dealt with abusive situations, dealt with mother, mother and or father not being present, dealt with having to share a pair of shoes with their brother or their cousin, kind of like Yanis shared about his his background recently, um, you know, dealt with systemic drug use in their neighborhood. And and you've yep. got to be, you know, we talk about the good Lord, you've got to be chaplain, you've got to be counselor, you've got to sometimes be friend, you've got to sometimes drop the hammer on him. And, you know, contextual coaching, as our friend Kenny Kane calls it. But um, talk to me a little bit about, you know, your passion and you use the word love, like another question that was asked then about legacy, you answered with one word, and it was so great and so profound, it still sticks with me all these years later, you just answered it as love, like that's the legacy you want to leave on these young men and women. So just talk to me a little bit about, you know, everything I just said in terms of folks coming from, from underprivileged backgrounds and, you know, drug infested neighborhoods and, and just the problems that they're going to bring into the, to your program and your weight room and how you, you, you're just committed to love them no matter what. Yeah. So, I mean, let them know that they have somebody there, you know, you put an arm around them, you know, I had a young man the other day who had some injury issues going on and I put my arm around him and he looked at me like I said, this hugs for me, not for you. And he gave me a big old hug. And then the next day, you know what he did? He walked up and he said, this hugs for me, not for you. So, you know, sometimes we just need a hug. Sometimes we just need to be heard. And there's a lot of these kids out there, uh, with single parent homes. Um, I, I gave an example when I adopted my kid, my son's adopted and um, I'm at Alabama and I walk in from work one day and he runs up to me, says, daddy puts his arms out and I grabbed him, gave him a big old hug and told him I loved him and uh, I'm getting emotional right now thinking about it. But that is what some of these kids miss. They come from single parent homes and they just need somebody to give them a hug and just love on them. And uh, you know, TLC is the biggest thing, man. Little, you need everybody needs a little TLC, you know, whether they say it or not, everybody needs a little TLC um, because they may have been misguided. They may have been hanging around with the wrong people. Uh, we have Maurice Claret come in and speak to the team at South Carolina, former Ohio State running back. And one thing that stuck with me the most was he basically said, you show me your friends. I'll show you your future. He said, the friends I was hanging out with at the time were not the good, the right friends I should have been hanging out with. And I made bad decisions. He said, but luckily the good Lord, you know, knocked me off my feet, picked me back up and made me realize, hey, you need to slow down. You need to take a couple steps back and you need to re- reevaluate this situation. Um, that is the biggest thing. And, and, and But the number one thing you've got to do with these young kids that haven't had a parent's home or good leadership at home is you got to figure out what they're really about, where they come from. They need to be heard. You know, my wife always said a quote, you know, first, first they need to be heard before you're going to be hurt. And um, it's, it's important. It's important because everybody's got a story. Everybody's got situations. Everybody's got problems. You know, usually there's more problems with more responsibilities, but at the same time, you know, that is, you know, what life is, um, you know, guys you know, or look at people as mentors that have a lot of money. Well, I said, well, all I see is a lot of problems. You got a lot of money, you got a lot of problems, you know, because you got people poking at you, pulling at you. So constantly reminding them and giving them examples of my life and what I've done wrong and how I could teach them to do better. But also other people that I've been around that have made mistakes and learned from it. You know, that's all we can do. That's how we lead by example. 
um, just to give examples. But the number one thing is love. You know, it starts with love. It gets the barriers down. Once you start listening, then you can start giving them examples and leading them in the right direction. Well, I love that you gave the example of Maurice because obviously the guy had all the physical tools in the world. He was going to be the next, you know, pick a great player in his position, right? The next whoever. And much like, you know, in basketball, people that have been anointed as the next Jordan or the next whoever, um, and it doesn't pan out. And then they're labeled a bust or a choker or, oh, they had character issues and that undermined their thing. Or, oh, this guy did that. So we're going to, you know, now a cancel culture, we're going to cancel him. We're going to dox him. We're going to bully him. We're going to say he's a horrible person because he made a mistake. But in this case, it sounds like part of the process with Maurice was owning his mistake, reverse engineering, you know, some of the choices maybe that he made that now he wishes he could go back and change, but he can't. And then maybe as a, you know, a believer, as a leader, and now being willing to to guide young men and women through some of the, what he would now call mistakes in hindsight, he's probably a yep. better person today than he was at the height of his fame and the height of his career. Yeah. He's in a better psychological disposition than he was then too. You know, he's not looking over his shoulder because most people that lie and cheat and do things, they're always constantly looking over their shoulder because they're worried who's going to come get them. And now he's actually living, he's being where his feet are. You know, he's living every single day like it's his last and he's enjoying every bit of it. Yeah. It's amazing how, uh, you know, we go through those times that we wouldn't wish on anyone, but they make us who we are. And, you know, and, um, and it's so special when we we take kind of the worst and turn it into the best in, in terms of what we've happened. Um, what, what, what's something that maybe was a, a, a big setback in your career that you bounced back and, and turned a negative into a positive? Uh, well, I mean, you know, you're, you're very close to, you know, I was very close to my coach, much champ and his family. And, you know, that is, you know, that was tough, you know, but again, you separate your personal life and your professional life. And, you know, my whole family was close to his family. And it was like, you know, a family separating and that was tough. But at the same time, you know, you have to believe in your faith and you had to believe in what you, you know, you're meant to do and how you handle yourself every single day. And, you know, I've always been positive. I've always taken every bad situation made into a positive situation. And, you know, and that's what I did. I kept my head up. I stayed positive. And, you know, I, you know, I tell you, Johnny Parker, I, it was really good. Johnny Parker called me up and me and Coach Parker were talking and he said, Jeff, I always say this. He said, I always say, don't be the victim, be the victor. And he said, you know, no situation, you're ever the victim, you're the victor. And he said, I know you're going to handle it that way. I said, no doubt, Coach, no doubt. And, you know, that was one of probably many situations where, you know, I ended up applying for jobs, didn't get them. But at the same time, you know, uh, you know, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Things are happening when they're supposed to happen, not when I want them to happen. And that's life. Yeah. You, I, I read that you told one interviewer, um, as Jim and I were kind of researching and bouncing some questions back and forth, that um, you said, you know, I, I didn't have to take any job, you know, um, but I chose to come back to IMG for certain reasons. Can you share a little bit about the role you have currently and, um, you know, so with some of these elite athletes on this, you know, num what, ranked in the top two in the nation, I think, um, yeah. maybe number one. Yeah. But then that's only the premier program, right? There are other programs as well. But just talk to us about why you chose to not go into retirement or quasi-retirement and then why why IMG, why now, and, and what motivated you to come back in this new role? Well, I mean, 
you know, here, here, here is, let's start at the very beginning. You get in this, you get in this business because you really do, do care. And we still care along the way. Um, then you realize, Hey, I can make a little bit of money, you know, and you know, you start chasing your dreams. You want to achieve greatness and keep moving up, moving up, moving up. And, you know, I always said when I first started, I want to be a millionaire. Now I just want to live comfortably, you know, because that's what life brings you. You know, again, it's not about being a millionaire. It's about living comfortably and, you know, where you don't have to live paycheck to paycheck and just make smart decisions financially along the way. So by doing that, um, you know, I spoke to my wife whenever things went down to South Carolina and I was like, hey, you know, what are we looking like right now with, you know, our investments we've done? And she was like, well, you look pretty good. If we wanted to, you didn't have to ever work ever again. No. So the mentality to be financially comfortable where you don't have to worry about that paycheck. Now you revert back to you as a young coach where you truly do things for the right reasons. Now there's nothing outside that can skew you or change how you react to certain situations. Now you can be completely 100 transparent yourself. And that's what, you know, this opportunity presented itself, you know, in the interview, I basically was directly honest with all of them and, you know, I got hit with a lot of questions. Well, why we want to hire you here? You're going to be here for six months and leave. I'm like, well, I'm going to ask you a question. If somebody comes in and they offer you a job, making you five to 10, 10 times what you're making now, it's a three to five year contract. And when you're done with that, you can completely retire and live major comfortably, you know, and it's a great situation. Would you leave? And ask them that same question. And, you know, the answer is yes, you're going to do what's best for you and your family at the end of the day. But, this place is a great place. It's going to be an unbelievable hard situation to leave just because they're allowing me to put my family first, you know, and, you know, sad day in the Dillman household. I had to put my, 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 my older pets down on Tuesday. So that's the family I had them for 15 years. And, you know, I, they let me take a day for it. So um, in college, I wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, you know, you can't take a day. There's no days off, you know, being a strength coach in college. So, um, you know, and that, that was impactful. And, and, and a lot of the same administrations here that was here the first time and mm. I left on a great note and, you know, I, I, I basically over communicated with them when I left to go to university of Florida and, you know, they will welcome me with open arms. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of Florida, take us back to your time there and what that experience was like. Mm. Oh, it was great. So you're talking about the highs and highs and the lows and lows. So, you know, we go from winning 10, 11 games and my first year there, um, that was in 2012. And then next thing you know, there's a plethora of injuries going on. And, you know, it's, it comes down to we evaluated the top to bottom of the program. And there was a lot of different scenarios that happened that caused that. But, um, you know, it, you know you're, winning, you're losing ball games, then you got to sit there and talk to recruits and be positive. And, you know, that's one thing that anybody will tell you in that whole situation. I was probably the most positive guy of all after a loss because, you, you know, you got to put on a happy face for everybody. You know, just trying to say, hey, you know, you're, you, this is something we're learning from. That's all this is. You know, it, it, okay. it's a setback for comeback. And um, but it was it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I grew a lot. You know, um, I was you know, I felt like that that was ages ago. It seemed like yesterday, but it felt like it was ages ago, too. But um, a lot of great athletes there. Um, the mentality of the team coming off, you know, when Coach Meyer left and Coach Muschamp taking over and you know, two different, you know, mentalities and how you approach culture. But, um, you know, learned and grew a lot from it and uh, learned a lot from the athletes. There. I had an athlete today reach out to me and, you know, he was a former receiver there. I think he is a, uh, a marketing uh, guy now for some NFL athletes. And 
he's like, hey, coach, just want to reach out to you and just tell you that, you know, we, you really made a difference in the young guys' lives and you really helped me and I appreciate it. And, you know, that's what you want. That's what you want. You know, that is that is the gift you want for what you're doing is just thanks. Um, you know, there's never been an athlete write a check for a million dollars for me, you know, to me, you know, but at the same time, I don't want their money and I would tell them that. But, you know, the thanks that they do five to ten years later when they realize – why we were so hard on them at the time and why we held them to a high standard. And that's, you know, that's valuable. That's very valuable. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love how much you uh, enjoy being a great mentor. And then what we're also talking about here is just being a, you know, a true professional, you know, I I think a true professional does their best when they feel like it the least, you know, or when it's the hardest, you know, like you said, after a tough loss or, and I love what you said about the recruits, you know, the recruits are there and you want to put on a game, good face for them. And you're saying, Hey, this is a learning opportunity for us. And we're strong enough to overcome this, you know? And so I, I really love that. Um, you definitely have a growth mindset. Where did that come from? Tell us about that. You know, you, it's, I could just tell you love learning. You love growing. You love, you know, you just love it all. Well, I wouldn't be married if I didn't have a growth <laughs> mindset. So my wife, every single day, she said, if you ain't growing, you die. You need to move on. So, no, said, <laughs> but no, it's, it, you know, she is, she said, I, I married you because you're, your energy, your motivation um, to get better and to be the best. And I've always been competitive. Um, you know, my friend from high school, we've known each other since five years old, Scott Sinclair is the head strength coach of Georgia. And we're, we've competed against each other for years and we always run, you know, I, I love him. I love everybody who, you know, has made a difference in my life. But I love every, I just love people. I just love, I love, you know what I love? I love smiles. I love happy people. I love fixing problems. Um, I like to give solutions, um, but I don't know. I just, I've always, you know, I've always been that way. You know, um, I want to find the answer to the questions. You know, I don't want somebody to tell me the boundaries. I want to make the boundaries. I want to stretch the boundaries. Don't give me protocols. I want to find out. I'm going to make my own protocols. Um, had a conversation with some, uh, it's called the comeback team. And, um, you know, they uh, came in and I told them, I'm like, Sometimes, you know, and I respect people that have their doctor because the hard work they put in. But at the same time, there are some doctors out there that think they're everything and they have all the answers and they don't. And it makes me lose some credibility for them because of how they respond and react and act. You know, a lot of them have huge egos and I don't believe in stroking egos. I believe I don't believe in sugarcoating things. I believe in being direct and honest and transparent about things, whether you get upset or not, because the emotions are going to end, you know, you'll get over it. at the same time. At least, you know, somebody's honest with you. Yeah. Um, it, it, and in talking about sugarcoating things, this goes back. And again, this is a few years. Oh. So I know you remember it though. Um, at the trainers summit. So you talked about TLC, but you also talked about a scenario where there was a young man who basically lost it in the weight room, kind of stormed out. It was like a scene out of last chance you basketball, you know, um, if you've had a chance to see that, um, but it ended up working out. So what about when you have a young man who's like, say six, who's basically Jonathan Ogden, right? Is like six, eight, you know, is huge is 300 pounds. And you're, you know, you're a big, strong guy, like I said, but the, you know, the guy's towering over you, he's up in your chest, you're up in his face. Um, and you're just trying to hold him accountable. You're not trying to fight him, but you're trying to hold him accountable. Like you said, with some tough love, can you share that story or a similar story and, and how there's a need for TLC, but on the flip side, there's also a need to, to reinforce a leadership position and sometimes give some tough love. 
Well, you Scott, you got to push the buttons. Um, we all have buttons to be pushed. Um, you always hear the saying that, you know, we got to get used to being uncomfortable because life is uncomfortable situations. So we've got to put these young kids in uncomfortable situations. And there are times when they don't want to listen to instruction and when they don't listen. First time, I'll forgive you. I'll correct you. Second time, I'm really going to, you know, the third time and you're really not paying attention. I have a problem with it. And, and there was one athlete that came up and got my face and was just mad yelling at me. And I just looked at him and I said, listen, you know what? I'm here to help you. Okay. I care about you. I love you. All right. But if you don't want me to help you and you don't want me to coach you hard, because if I'm not coaching you, then I don't care about you. So if that, then leave, then leave. And he went from balling his fist up. He relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, so how to, how to learn to infuse situations, but also defuse situations. That's important, especially in this industry, because emotions are going to be high. You know, we, we, we're in an emotional environment all the time. Um, and I kind of, I, I, I used to tell my athletes, I said, forget your feelings. Your feelings are going to get you, get you beat and they're going to get me fired. So don't let your feelings make decisions for you. But I, I remind them about that too. And after that situation, we, we sat down or there's a such sometimes that I have to kick the athletes off the field. I kick them off the field. I had the coach go get them and put them in my office. And then we sit down and we have a conversation after they pulled down, you know? So was that the one you were talking about? There was yeah. so, there's been so many. No, in my I time think, yeah. I to me, it played out. Like I watched last chance. I mean, last chance you football is obviously awesome, but last, last chance you basketball coach Mosley, um, and his staff are great at knowing well he knows which assistant to send in when is part of it that's right but he also right. knows when to push someone or then someone like joe where he doesn't show for a couple of days and they're like yeah we called this guy like what are you how are you going to discipline him and he he knew it was not time to discipline him at all because he was this close to going back to his old life um you know and, and to remaking those mistakes and him basically losing him so he backed off whereas other people kind of like what you hear about coach popovich when he wanted to yell at the whole team, he would yell at Tim Duncan and Tim knew it wasn't about him because of what right. a pro he was, but, or, or somebody coach Walsh would dress down an assistant when actually he was yelling at the team, but he knew the assistant could take it. So I love those stories of finding leaders among your players or among your assistant staff. And again, coach Mosley um, at ELAC does one of the best jobs ever with this. He knows when to run a guy out of practice, but he also knows, Hey, mm-hmm. if they're not showing up like with Joe, if I push him hard now, he's gone and he might go back to his drug habit where he was getting injured. You know, he had two ACLs, I think both knees in, in his previous college, maybe at UConn. And, it, yeah. and if I do that, if I indulge my impulse right now to call him and be like, Joe, you're off the team, don't come back or hold, you know, run him to death in practice the next day, I've lost this kid. And if I lose this kid, I, I, I'm not, my duty of care as a professional, yeah. as, a, as a man of faith, I failed him and I failed myself. So it sounds like you've had a few of those scenarios too, where you know when to push him, but you also know where to love him and to back off. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean, that's always what you do. You always, you, you know, you give them examples. You say, Hey, you know, what could you have done different? You know, uh, there's a fellow named JC Glick, JC Glick, who was one of the, uh, one of the, I think he was in the, he was the one of the Rangers that ended up, training the 600 Iraqis back in Saudi Arabia. And he was a mental conditioning coach for the Panthers and the Redskins. And JC is a great friend. And JC always talked about, you know, 
Jeff, how are you handling situations? You know, if somebody messes up on the field, how do you handle it? He said, I handle it by asking, what'd you do wrong? Okay, what would you do different? How would you handle that different? And let them correct their own problems and the solution given, let them give you their solution. And they give you their solution, then you know what? They've learned from it. And okay, make sure you do that next time. You know, and sometimes you got to bring your high energy, but then sometimes you got to bring your low energy. You got to bring both. Yep. I, I would be remiss, Jeff, if I didn't ask you for uh, some uh, strength and conditioning tips for mere mortals. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of listeners that aren't going to be playing college football or pro football. Uh, uh, you know, I think Phil bench presses, what, 150 pounds? No, just kidding. Phil's a, a big kettlebell guy. But uh, what, what are some myths and misconceptions about strength and conditioning that, you know, our audience might benefit from? Well, I'm actually, I'm speaking at a clinic. I'm speaking at a hammer strength clinic and my topic is going to be do simple better. So Love it. Every, everybody is trying to find this advanced way of training. Okay. And if you really look at it, and I know that Albert Mill made it, you know, he, he spoke at a conference about six or seven years ago and he said, find out what it's named now. And I would tell you what it was named back in the seventies. So the evolution of training, it's all been around, but everybody's all about branding in a different way or talking about how to progress a certain way. You know, and, you know, we use the system from Johnny Parker, Al Miller and Rob Panarello. Um, you know, you got the tier system with Big House, you mm-hmm. know, but at, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you got to push weight. And if you push the same weight over and over again, you're never going to get stronger. You know, so you got to go up in weight to get stronger. You're never going to get faster if you don't train faster or you don't run faster. So you are what you repeatedly do. Um, you know, and, and guys ask me, I want to get stronger. I say, okay, go home and do 50 push-ups. If you can do them all in one time, do them all in one time. If you can't, break it up in tens. All right. Once you get done doing 50, now move it to 55, move it to 60. There's an old strongman, you know, story called a guy named Milo who ended up, uh, he wanted to get stronger. So we bought, I, I told this story too. I know Phil's heard it. He bought a, uh, a baby cow, calf. He said, I want to get stronger. So he carried that calf 100 yards and back every single day, and he fed him. And the calf, sooner or later, he was walking 100 yards and back every single day, and the calf became a cow, and he was carrying a cow 100 yards and back. So putting the right amount of weight on the body at the right time, it's like anything from a psychology standpoint, you understand this, you know, stress will either motivate you or debilitate you. So too much stress will debilitate you. The right amount of stress will motivate you. Um, I speak to parents all the time around here. I said, what age do you think kids should start training and lifting weights? So that question for you is what age do you think a kid should start lifting weights? What do you think? Oh man. <laughs> uh, do you want me to go? Jim? Just take a guess. It's okay. Uh, you, I, would, both can go. Go I would say uh, eight. Just okay. making that up. Phil, right, what fine. do you got? That's fine. What you got, uh, Phil? I would say, I wouldn't say lifting weights necessarily, but I would say purposeful movement. Um, as young as five, six, seven, and maybe younger. As soon, yeah, as soon as you're born. As soon as you're born, because yeah. kids move all the time. Don't look at lifting weights as yeah, lifting heavy. Lifting, lifting weights as movements with resistance, movements yes. with weight on the body. So the example I give these parents, I was like, they're like 15, 16. I said, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. This whole notion about like, oh, it's going to stunt their growth. Oh, it's going to give them all these stress oh, fractures. Like, mm, and no. I got a story about that, too. That's a, I got a good story about that when I was here before. But um, I give them the analogy. I said, what's safer? If I train your kid and put a PVC pipe on his back and teach him how to squat, or if your kid goes outside and jump off a brick wall that's eight foot high, 
They said, when you teach them how to squat, I said, yes. Yeah. So guess what? They're actually doing more dang, 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 dangerous stuff for their body by playing outside than they are with me just doing technique. Right. So and also, you your baby, also, when you have a baby and the baby goes and picks up that heavy toy, instead of pushing it, he or she picks it up and maybe even puts it above their head or throws it. Mm-hmm. They're lifting multiple times body weight, and then eventually they're adding an explosive component. So, yeah. how is that being any different from them deadlifting two hundred pounds when they only weigh one thirty? It's well, not. Jeff, Jeff it's is just context. Exactly. Well, you guys will like this too. You just reminded me of uh, you know here I am, this sports psychologist, and and when my daughter was one, she was having a temper tantrum. And my oh. wife says, just teach her a breathing technique. And I'm like, I never even thought of that. You know, I just thought like, well, that'd be something, you know, years down the line. And so I just started doing a little bit of breathing, put my hand on my belly, you know, let it expand. And so she laid next to me and started doing that as well and then calmed down. And so you're right. It's like when we start implementing these things in the right way at the right time, it can make all the difference. Yeah. I mean, start as early as possible. So I, I got a story. My, all of a sudden I hear this noise in the closet. We're in Gainesville. I think my daughter was two years old, my son, and all we hear, Ugh! we're like, uh-oh, what's going on? And she's like, what is that? I said, I don't know. We go in there, and my daughter has a brand-new stack of sheets. She's got two piles of them, and she's deadlifting them off the ground, trying to strain to pick them up. It was the the probably the most accomplished I felt as a dad ever, <laughs> having my daughter deadlift sheets in the yeah. closet. Well, you guys both so, bring up great points that, Monkey see, monkey do, right? So not that our kids are monkeys. Sometimes they are. But um, that's right. in our house, a monkey, it, that's our favorite animal, you know, very, the old man of the forest or a gibbon. or what, We love to watch those silly videos as much as anybody. But um, nonsense aside, I don't have to necessarily say to my, sometimes I do, like you're, we're going in doing kettlebell swings today. You know, I have a high schooler and a middle schooler. And um, they just know from observing that this is something dad does every day and you don't have to do a lot. You know, I taught him the old dad workout trick of pick two. And it's really Pavel, you know, Pavel taught me this with with the the get-ups and the swings. Like if you just did get-ups and swings or even to walk it back from swings, if you just did a kettlebell or a deadlift with any implement and you did get-ups, you would have 90% of what you need both in sport and in life. If you're, you know, you help your body, you, you need to be ready. You need to put yourself in position mentally, spiritually, physically to be ready. And how do we do that? Like you said, by doing what Dan John says, um, pick up, you know, in the weight room, um, pick up weights, put weights overhead, carry weights, basics, do simple better. I love it. So here's, here's a story I got for you. This is a great story. Uh, a guy named Hal Pittman was a, he's a two-star general who was here. He was based out of Tampa. His son, he called the world's strongest violinist. Twelve years old, he set world records in powerlifting. Um, so one day, his shoulder started bothering. Mom threw a fit, complete fit. Just couldn't, you know. And he played violin. He did some martial arts, all that stuff. She said, "I told you he shouldn't be lifting weights. He should not be lifting weights." So they end up going to go to the orthopedic surgeon. The surgeon looks at it and he's like, okay, you hurt your shoulder, hurt here? Yeah, it hurts here. He said, okay, well, how do you hold a violin? Do you hold like this or you hold like this? And he's like, I hold like this. You're holding the violin wrong. That's what's hurting your shoulder, not lifting weights. So it's not what you do, it's how you do it. Yeah, I mean, I know that Kelly Starr had a scenario with a, a guitarist from a famous band I won't mention that similarly was like, oh, I'm doing my training all wrong because, you know, my I, I have this basically golfer's elbow, tennis elbow, 
and gets him in and yeah. it's like how, how are you holding your the implement where you make your living and it's you know a small tweak literally an inch or two one way or another and how he held the darn thing was the issue it was not your training's crap or you don't know what you're doing in the weight room yeah it's all about the little things you know and again it goes back to do simple better that's really, really all it is if you know how to pick a bar properly you know how to squat properly those are two of the fundamental movements that you need and do a hip hinge those are things you need to do in order to to live your life normal. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, people don't understand they lift every single day. They just don't realize that movements are lifting. No, absolutely. So we talked a little bit about, you know, prioritizing simplicity, not being obsessed with chasing complexity. So you see LeBron on a balance ball under one foot pulling a band or these guys trying to dunk while a coach is yanking them back with this big resist. Yeah. And you go and do likewise and you get hurt and wonder why. So, well, you're not LeBron James would probably be the answer, but Regardless, um, you know, we talked to all of these things are part of the process, so to speak. And nobody is more famous around that that phrase or that mantra than Nick Saban. Um, so right. talk, talk to us a little bit about what you learned from being part of Coach Saban's process with that championship winning squad and also just what it was like the culture at, at University of Alabama. Well, he, he always constantly brought in educators called him, brought in educators, and he always told, he gave them examples. We're always sending out motivational videos. He's always, you know, Dr. Kevin Elko is, his sports psychologist does a great job, phenomenal job. And that's kind of where, you know, do simple better came from and be where your feet are. He uses a lot of different terminology from different people that he's learned from in the world too. And, you know, just, you know, the, the, the old deal, keep chopping wood. You hear about that? Keep chopping wood. The Chop old wood, carry deal. water. Yeah. 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 So he, he would bring that. He, he, you know, he, he instilled all that, you know, with coach Saban in back in the day and they've known each other since the Browns days. Um, but you know, there's a lot of influencers with coach Saban. Coach Saban is a man wants as much knowledge as possible and surround himself with great people and, you know, great mentors, and he bounces things off of them all the time and he challenges them to help him, you know, make, you know, the right decision at the right time. And, you know, it's the, the, the biggest thing, like after the loss this year, when they took the loss to A&M, I guarantee you he went in a meeting and he told the guys, don't ever forget what this feels like. You work so hard to get where you are. Don't forget what this feels like. Let this be the motivation for you to do everything right, to do everything right. And he strives for perfection, knowing you're not going to be perfect, but also, He's got great athletes. People are like, well, he's got great athletes. Well, he's got great athletes, but he has them in a system and he has them in a place where they understand the fundamentals. He drives the fundamentals in not only to the athletes, but to the to the coaches. Um, I think he does a really great job of keeping the coaches focused on their job and not, you know, you know, things that they have in the rearview mirror. You know, they're you know, they're looking around for the next step. So he does a great job of motivating the coaches and the coaches by motivating them. They uh, transition it to the players about day-to-day, step-by-step, make sure you do the little things right, finishing through the line and make sure that, you know, we're buttoned up. This is exactly how I want it done. And, you know, he's got that culture in place. And now once you've built the culture, the culture drives it even further. 
Yeah, Jeff, I, I love that he'll, you know, after a loss, which isn't very common, he'll say, you know, what, what's going to define us is not what happened today, but what we do That's next. Right. And, uh, That's right. When I was at Michigan State, uh, he was on the cutting edge of using impact. We were talking about that, you know, before the podcast um, that, you know, he was the first coach to start, you know, hey, what's this about concussion testing way back in the day? You know, he's always cutting edge, always wants to learn growth mindset that we talked about. But I always love that he would tell the players, I'd watch him, he would tell the players, hey, if your body language is down, you're telling the other team beat us now. And, you know, and, and, and I just love that he would pick on the process, you know, focus on the process and body language and all these great things so long ago, um, you know, way ahead of his time. Yeah. I mean, it's again, a progressive mindset and he, you know, he's to fine tune everything. And, you know, he's always having people come from the outside in to evaluate his program and what can I do better? You know, he made a big jump two years ago by, you know, when coach Cochran went to, Georgia to be special teams coach. He hired David Blue and Matt Ray. And one thing that he's done with those two was that, you know, he's revamped, you know, how he's practicing and how he's thinking, you know, more is not always better. It's the right amount. And looking at player loads, having people surrounding him, that's making, helping him make better decisions and help guide him and practicing more efficiently. And, and that that's very important. You know, um, those are things that we do here. And without that, you know, we've got a 35 man roster on the national team. Well, guess what? We're not going to have anybody left on the on the on the team by the end of the year if we don't manage player loads and manage not only their physicality but their psychological disposition. No, with regard to that last point, what's some things that you try to do daily to help them with the mindset piece? Well, um biggest thing is so we we do a bunch of readiness testing. So we figure out we do four stack jumps with them and from a speed standpoint, we use that as a neurological marker. Um, oh, for like you know, CNS load, CNS Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, I had an example last year. Last year, you know, we had a lot of CNS fatigue. Um, our force was also down too. And um, I told the head coach, I was like, you know, your quarterback, his legs are dead. I see he's got dead legs are bad. He's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. He just came to him and told me he had nothing in his legs. And he said, I said, well, what's the plan this week in practice? Coach was like, well, we were going to, you know, ease up the practice at the end of the week. I said, so I would say practice Monday through Thursday. I said, give them Friday, Saturday, completely off. I'll see them on Sunday, lift them and running them. And I guarantee you they'll be fired up, ready to go on Monday. Well, we retested on Monday. I mean, their force skyrocketed and their eccentric duration was so much faster. So um, being able to give tools and things for these coaches to help guide them, not drive them and what they're trying to do. Um, from a psychological standpoint, I just try to keep the energy up in the weight room in a positive way and always ask, hey, how you living? What's going on? You know, and I, most of my little saying is, too, is I walk up to people all the time and say, hey, how you living? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. It's so good to see you. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Have a great day. Bye. Before they even say anything, and they're like, uh, 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 and then the next day they try to get me first. So that kind of helps reset, you know, their, their psychological demeanor in a positive way because they know when they come up to me, I say, hey, how you living? Good to see you. Turn up. Get your mind right. Always do that stuff. And then they try to catch me when I'm off guard. I was like, oh, you got me. You got me. So those are little things, you know, little, little, little things I sneak around. And, you know, when I talk to people or, you know, you know, give them a hard time. I like, you know, I kind of nudge people all the time. I like to give them a hard time. I like to see where they're at, too. So, you know, I can I, you, you read their body language. I can see what their eyes are saying whenever I see them. And, and I can tell if I really need to press or I need to back off a little bit like we talked about. Yeah. So you mentioned with that, looking at their eyes, like the guy covered in tats is thinking that you're judging him or trying to imply that you might be. And you're like, I, I didn't see that because I'm looking at your eyes. Is that something you learned from your parents or just over your coaching career or a bit of both to 
to really when you again be where your feet are during conversation? Uh, well, I'm very ADD. I'm very OCD. So you know who, what strength coach is not. Um, but if, when I'm so ADD that I got a thousand things rolling through my head, so I really hyper focus when I look at people. I'm looking straight in the eyes. They're like, "Man, you got something. You're really intensely focused." I said, "If I don't intensely focus on you, then I'm not going to be talking to you. I can't focus on you." Um, you know, but it came with time. It came with confidence. Um, you know, you, it was a learning curve. You know, it was a learning curve because again. You, t- you got to teach young kids at a very young age to be respectful of people in the eyes. And what I try to do now is if a young kid comes and shakes my hand, looks me in the eyes, I look at him and say, hey, I'm just going to tell you one thing. I respect you and I appreciate you for doing that. They need to hear that more because the more, the more they hear that, the more they're going to know they're doing the right things by shaking a hand, squeezing hard, looking people in the eyes. So, Great, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's been a thing over time. It's been, it's been a confidence thing too, you know, and you realize that, you know, people respect you more by being very you – know, Confidence breeds success. No, I love that. Um, With with the Youth Academy at Shamrock Rovers um, in Dublin, which is one of the Premier League um, teams in Ireland, um, our friend Darren Dillon plays his trade, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I love that. He's told me many times that their academy players are not allowed to, and neither are their coaching staff, to pass anyone, whether it be the the guys sweep, you know, mopping the floor, whether it be the head coach, whether it be one of their peers – without shaking hands and saying, hey, how are you doing? You know, like you said, how are you living? And that's a rule, but the rule is in place, but eventually that becomes a habit. And if they see you out in the store, they'll come up and say, hey, Coach Dylan, how are you doing, man? You know, what's going on? Um, you know, in front of their parents and the parents will be like, wow, when did he or she learn to do that? And it's like, well, the academy, and it is a rule, like a written rule, but it becomes, like you said, part of the culture if they all commit and buy into that. So I love that story from Darren. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, go ahead, go ahead, Jim. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I just you guys reminded me of the story of Coach K when uh, he was with the uh, you know the the the, the U.S. Uh, Olympic you know basketball team, and LeBron James was on it, and he's talking to LeBron. You know, when they were first starting their first practices, and LeBron wasn't looking him in the eye, and he said, "LeBron, look me in the eye. That's one of my values." And then he said, LeBron, what's one of your values? And so I just love that. You know, just those little things that are important, and what's important to me, but also what's important to you. Yeah, well, I love that. With yeah, LeBron. I mean, it, goes, it goes back to do little things right. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. There's I mean, another story we, about him where in Cleveland, the second go round, guys were just throwing towels on the floor and he didn't mention any names. It wasn't him that told the story, but he was like, these equipment managers, do you know what they get paid? Like they don't get paid very much and they have to do your dirty laundry every day. Pick up your gosh dang towels and put them in the bin to at least make it easier. And from that day on, there were no towels on the floor in Cleveland anymore. And that's leadership. Well, you know, Ed Reed said it. You know what Ed Reed said? Ed Reed said that, you know, they're playing for a Super Bowl. And he said, beginning of that year, they were throwing trash everywhere. And people were like, the janitors need to clean them. He said, no, 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 that's not. It's your responsibility to put your trash in the trash can. He said, once he saw all the locker room get tightened up and get cleaned up and people taking ownership of it, the next thing you know, they won the Super Bowl that year. Yeah. In the weight room, what what is your rule, the kindergarten rule? If you get out a weight plate, you put it away? Yep. So we have a standard here, IMG Academy-wide, that the weight room needs to look better than it did when you first started. So every band goes back, every plate goes back, every 
safety. Bar goes on, you know, the Jay Hook's going number 27 inside and out. You know, everything looks Well, exactly that's a good point same. too, right? Because if someone's doing some rack pulls and you go into back squat, that's a hassle and you always get it wrong, right? Like one's at that's 27, right. one's at 22. And you're like, why does the bar feel weird? And it's like, well, because you're on an angle, dummy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we we actually keep it at a standard. We have a, a standard where we height where we want it. And, you know, the Olympic bar is sitting up in the back and the power bar is inside the rack. And, the front J hooks are wide open and, you know, as you can tell, and then everything's, everything's the symmetry of the weight room. Everything looks clean. It's smooth. And that's the number one thing too, is you got trash, pick it up. If there's something you spilled, pick it up here, go get a towel. There it is. You know, we constantly give them reminders and then we tell them if you don't clean it up and somebody doesn't walk through and double check behind you, then we're going to have little reminders. We, you know, we got the circle life outside. It's a big circle way that we can always do body weight lunges with 25s over the head or something like that, just to kind of give them a reminder. Yeah, what great life skills. Life skills for everything. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Some of them, I mean, some of the kids we deal with, you know, that might be kids that come from a lot of money and never had to do that. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know, I've never had a parent disagree with me when I say, you want your young man or young woman to grow up to be an adult one day, don't you? Yes. Okay. So we've got to teach them these skills to learn and grow. So they become, you know, a good son, a good daughter, a good father, a good wife, you know, and that's why we do what we do. No, for sure. Um, we've talked a little bit about some of your mentors and how you've poured into to their lives. So in turn, how do you like to, what motivates you to then mentor younger coaches coming up and pour back into them? I just, I just don't want them to make the same mistakes. I don't want them to misunderstand this business. Um, you know, I always said whenever I was in those positions at Florida and Alabama and South Carolina, coaches would come and say, man, coach, you, you know, you, you, you're doing well. I said, no. I said, listen, you're all smarter than me. You're all, you know, the difference between me and you is I have a relationship with the head football coach. That's the only difference. There ain't no other difference. So I want them to understand the real truth about this business. You know, and I always said, you know, before, if you want to be judged on being a great strength coach, then you need to go work in the private sector. All right. Not in college, because college, it has to do with a lot of different factors. You know, um, so you got to, you know, you got to be, you know, a little bit of everything to be dangerous in college because you're always moving and shaking. You're managing the head coach gives you what the standard is. And then you're the one that's driving the standard into all the athletes. You're making sure they're in class. You know, if there's uh, personal issues going on, you're bringing them in the office, you're having conversations with them, you're setting them up for success. If they had some drug issues, then we're trying to set them up for rehab you know, different things just to help them be successful because we're not just going to throw them out on the street. I never believe in that. I don't believe in forcing kids to transfer, you know, because you think they're not good enough. You know, I've heard a lot of stories with coaches tell them they're not good enough. And guess what? Those coaches are no longer there. And guess what they're doing? They're starting right now and they're about to get drafted. I love that. I love that idea of never quitting. And um, a mentor of mine, Mark Johnson, who we're going to interview pretty soon from the business world, always said, people always want to kick him off the bus. And he said, I don't think about that ever. I, I think about maybe they're in the third row and they need to be in the ninth row or the 12th row. Let's find a different seat on the bus. And then if they don't have the skill set to, to be in that seat, well, I'm going to help them with that then because skills can be developed, but you cannot quit on people or you cannot force them into an impossible position to make them quit or you know, rather than you kicking them out. Find a different seat on the bus. Yeah, I mean, that's... 
my thing is too, you know, I've always trained walk-ons and scholarships players like they're the same person. You know, most people want to separate the walk-ons and mistreat them. Why are you going to mistreat them? If anything, you need to, you need to freaking train the scholarship guys even harder so that, you know, they don't feel, you know, that it's they're superior than anybody else, you know. And, you know, I believe in training everybody the same way. I believe in coaching everybody hard and teaching everybody hard. And, you know, I tell them, you know, I, I've had professional athletes I worked before. If you don't want to work hard, go get your money back. I don't want to train you. If you don't, when you come in here, you come in here with a work mentality. If you don't like it, I don't care how much money you have. I don't care who you are. You can be the president. I don't care if you're a freaking billion dollar. I don't care who you are. I'm going to train you the same way. And this is how we do things. And if you don't like it, please leave. Yeah, that's great. I, I'm worried you're going to steal my career, Jeff, in, <laughs> in sports psychology. Because I'm glad you didn't Stop. go into it. <laughs> but one Stop. of the things that you're that you're doing that's really, really, really important is you you have really sticky statements. And so a lot of athletes that I've worked with, they'll come back and say, "Yeah, my strength and conditioning coach and and you know uh, you know told me this, and it just sticks with them. And so they could keep leaning on that, hang their hat on that, and use that. So that's one of your your the gift of communication is something that you have that you have that makes a huge difference. Is that something that you've worked hard on, or have you always had kind of that gift of gab? I've always had the gift of gab. I get up and speak to anybody, you know, was, and I have one coach say he could sell ice to an Eskimo. I could sell ice to all the Eskimos. Um, all of them. You know, so yeah, all of them. I all love of it. Them. No, yeah, it's it. When you, when you truly care about every single one you come in contact with, you can, you can deliver anything. Um, my wife says I'm good at diffusion situations. I'm just good at communicating with people and, you know, when people first meet me, they're going to they're going to think we've known each other for years um, just because I've got that that kind of persona about myself. And then I ask the questions and, you know, and I relate to them. And, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm a little too transparent about, you know, some things that happen in my life. But at the same time, you know, I use that to get more from other people. And, you know, the number one thing I tell all these coaches when I walk in doors, say, hey, I'm the dumbest guy in the room. OK, you are all smarter than me, you know, because, you know, I use that to my advantage. And. Chris Frankel would tell you, you know, Phil was telling about Chris Frankel. Chris Frankel introduced me. He said, here's this redneck from North Carolina that I've never met before. <laughs> oh, I yeah, met- it's always it's always a tough crowd with Frankel. The amount of crap he gives you, you know. Yeah, he's the best. But he's like this guy I met at ING, and he's a redneck, didn't know anything about it. He didn't look too smart. And he's sitting there asking me, I said, what do you do? What are you doing? What is this TRX thing? How do you train athletes? You know, because I ask all the questions. I'm not scared to ask questions. I'm not going to scared to ask. Everybody thinks they're dumb questions. No, they're smart questions. The dumb question is the one you don't ask. So I'm asking all these questions. I'm playing dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. How do you do this? How do you do this? You know, and he explained everything to me. And he said he got to see one of my training sessions when we we're doing combine. And he said about it. And he said, you got to be freaking kidding me. This guy just played me like a fiddle. And I just gave him everything I had today. And he's doing it just, if not better, than way I was going to do it. So what I do is I try to find out how people do things. And I try to find out, find out, okay, this is how you do it. How can I make it better? It goes back to I want to be the boundary setter. I don't want people to give me boundaries. I want to set my own boundaries. Yeah, your, your sense of humor is really important, too. Uh, uh, peak performance isn't easy. You know, we we fail more than we yeah. succeed. And, and every day, you know, there's more grunt work than glitter. And so – uh, that they, uh, you know, on the path to greatness. And so your sense of humor is really important in terms of putting things in perspective. Is that something that, you know, sense of humor is something that you really appreciate in yourself and others? 
Yeah, so I always like to laugh. I always like to laugh. I always like to joke. And, and I'll make my, fun of myself in front of people and put myself down just to make people laugh just because it breaks more barriers that way. You know, humor can help you deliver a lot more than being military, you know, being serious, you know, and kids and people you come in contact with want to know you're human. You know, most people don't realize that you talk about LeBron James. Well, LeBron James is human. He's just like us, you know, and we always say, well, we all put the sock on the same way and all that, but most they don't realize that everybody in some way in life want to be challenged. They want to be challenged and they want to be held accountable. Everybody. We all want rules. We all want rules. We all want to be challenged. We all want to be told what to do, you know, but, you know, we just got to make sure that you're following the right mentors and the right leaders along the way to get the right direction. Yeah, I think it's great, too, in terms of you being able to share, you know, kind of your own vulnerabilities and foibles and, you know, and 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 kids and athletes get a kick out of that. I remember when I was with the Giants, uh, you know, during spring training, like, you know, guys like Jeremy, I felt that won World Series, but retired, you know, they'd come back yeah. during spring training and talk to the minor league guys. And he would tell them, like, man, in double A, I, you know, I had the highest uh, ERA of anyone that's ever pitched it, you know, for for that team or whatever. And guys got a kick out of it because it normalized it. It's like, hey, this guy, you know, achieved greatness, but he failed a lot, you know, on the path to, to achieving his goals. And so I think that's great to share, you know, kind of our successes, but also our failures as well. And it sounds like you do a good job with that. And that's always important to remember. Yeah, it is. You know, and you, you don't don't ever forget where you come from. Don't ever forget where you come from. Don't ever forget what made you who you are today and just stay humble and stay hungry all the time and just be respectful to everybody. You know, you know, there's been situations where people along the way have been very disrespectful. Uh, people that are disrespectful are the people that are going to come back to you 10 years later and ask for a job. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. This business is crazy. And, you know, just no matter who you come in contact with, be very respectful to all of them. And that's why I always try to tell when people interview for jobs, we either we have to communicate with them if they didn't get the job and, and, and give them a call and just say, hey, your voice was heard. Thank you so much for applying for this job. But, you know, we've gone a different direction. You know, that means so much to people in the industry. And, you know, I had an, uh, a situation where a kid, it was I was at a conference and he came up to me and said, Coach Demi, you may not remember. I said, OK, who are you? I introduced myself. He's a strength coach at Tulsa at the time. He said, you may not remember a phone call you made, but when you were at LSU, I applied for a job. I knew I wouldn't get the job. But you called me and you took the time and said, thank you for applying. He said, hey, keep trying, keep fight, keep fighting the good fight. And you know what? Sooner or later, it's going to work out. Well, coach, I appreciate you. So everybody needs to be heard. Everybody needs to be heard. And, you know, don't ever burn bridges. Ever, ever, ever burn bridges. Don't ever, you mean, why you, why would people have to mistreat people because what the logo on your chest? You know, um, you know, I would always take the logo off my chest every time I went to conferences and have conversations with people. And they're like, okay, well, what do you do? Well, I'm the director of strength conditioning. Here. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, whoa, 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 stop, stop. I'm just like you, man. So just trying to keep these people grounded, keep people grounded. Um, to go to the story about be where your feet are. I wanted to go to this. This is classic. This is classic. And this is the probably one of the most powerful stories that really hit home with me. After I got let go from South Carolina, me and my family, we own a house in Banner Elk, North Carolina. And uh, we've had it since 15. This is in 2020, uh, early 20s. And uh, we're leaving the house with the kids. And I looked at my wife. I said, oh, my God, babe, look at that. Look at that house. Look at that. You see, you see, there's a nest. There's a bird on the house right there. She looked at me. She said, Jeff, that bird and that nest has always been there. 
You're just now seeing it. So be where your feet are. Mindfulness. Preach, be, yeah. Yes, mindfulness, be where your feet are. Are you really where your feet are? Or are you more worried about the stress of life and what's going on? Or are you really truly there in that moment? Which I say I was, but I wasn't in that moment until that time when all the stress of job work and everything had gone away. And now I can see things with clear eyes. So I love that. Um, So for anyone that's more in the thicker things, like you were in the middle of your college football career, not saying that that career is over. That's a bad way to say, but you know what I'm saying when you're in the thicker things. So you've got, you've got a young family um, who you don't see as much as you would like, or they would like you're going in and you're being fully where your feet are, you know, to the best of your ability when you're at home, when you're in the weight room, when you're on the field, when you're in meetings with the head coach, the assistants, you know, your whole crew. Um, How do you, how could someone listening, what are a couple of techniques you can give them? It may not be forever, but it's hard right now. Things have got hard. There's too much volume and I'm feeling crushed. I'm feeling like I give myself an F as an employee, an F as an employer, an F as a parent, an F as a husband or wife, what would you say to that person? How can they keep fighting until that situation changes in some way? Well, you know, really it goes back to when I waited tables and bartended at Lone Star State Council Saloon in Pinehurst, North Carolina. I was in transition from transferring from Elon College to Appalachian State. And I had about a, uh, it was about a 10 month period that I had to, you know, bartend away tables. And I would sit there and I would watch other people waiting tables and they'll be back at the cooler in the back freaking out. I can't handle handle it in the weeds. We call it being in the weeds. And that's okay. Hey, I'll be glad to take it for you. You start the night with three tables. And then next thing you know, I pick up somebody's table here, somebody's table there. I'm at, I get 10 tables by the end. And, you know, we're at counting tips at the very end of the night. And, you know, they're counting their tips. They got 40 to $60 in tips. And I count mine. I was like, okay, there's 50, there's a hundred, there's 200, there's three, $600 in tips tonight. They're like, what? What? Uh, 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 How that how'd you do that i said every table you gave me because i was patient and i didn't allow myself to stress out about the situation i knew i was going to make it through it i over communicated with the tables and told them hey i'm going to get your drink right now and i made sure i kept multitasking i was i was i was going but i truly knew in my head that i was going to work through it um that i was going to figure it out and i was going to be patient enough to do the little things, the important, you make the main things, the main things, make the main things, the main things. And you know what? It worked out perfect. And, you know, people judged me on my performance and you know what? They tipped me very well. So what I tell people is when you're dealing with stressful situations and stressful times, they're not going to last, but how you respond to them is. And with my family and I'll bring it up to my wife all the time. She said, Jeff, you did everything humanly possible with the time you had to spend time with us. Cause I never went out with my friends. I never go play golf. My hobbies was my wife and my kids. And so she said, don't think you did not. We're not there. You were there, but you know, you took the time that everybody else would go out with their friends and hang out and play golf and stuff. And you spent it with us. So put the main thing, the main thing. And you know what, if there's something that's really, really, really not that important to do right now, you need to put that on the back burner, but stay in the moment. And like you say, be where your feet are and keep the main thing, the main thing. Jeff, let, let's, we need to be really honest here. And, uh, you know, I think you got those tips because they were scared of you. <laughs> so, 
They're like, yeah, we can't, we can't short change, we can't, you know, short change them. But, uh, you know, it's fun is I like to talk about, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. You know, some guys really get into it. Some guys don't, but kind of, you know, what's your predator that you want to emulate, you know, what's a predator in nature you want to emulate on game day. So I talk about be where your fangs are on game day, you know, be, be where your claws are. So I think that's fun. So it's fun kind of playing around with all these different words and, and you know, and, and stories and whatnot. But yeah, I love that, that you're able to use real life examples for sport and peak performance, but then sport peak performance examples for real life. So that's fun yeah. being able to mix the two. Yeah. I try to, I try to keep it very personal with the, with the athletes too, because I want them to understand, like we had an example. This is great. I had another example was uh, our postgrad team here. We have four football teams here. We have a varsity blue, a varsity white, a uh, national team, and a postgrad team. So the postgrad team, they were having a game on Saturday, and that was the Saturday I was supposed to go to Discovery Co. with my family. And I'm like, guys, I love you, but I love my family more. This is an opportunity I get to go with my family to Discovery Co. They're like, coach, just go, go. I was like, family first. Remember this, man, family first. And then when I came back, I showed them the picture of – it was me, my wife, my daughter, and my son holding a dolphin. And I said, this is, this is what you allow me to do. Thank you so much for allowing me to go be with my family. And that will stick with them forever. They realize I have a coach, I have a mentor that made his family a priority. And, and that's what we have to do as leaders. We have to you know, intertwine our personal and our professional life a little bit, but let people know that you're trying to be a good father. Let people know you're trying to be a good husband or you're trying to be a good mentor. You know, the more you let them know that you're human, the more you let them know that it's not about football. Because I tell them, I said, this ain't about football, man. It's about making right decisions. You do the right, right things all the time, then you can be good at football because you're always motivated to be good at football. I want you to be a good person. I want you to go be respectful to that teacher. I want you to work hard in the class. I want you to thank everybody you come in contact with because everybody in this world is important. Without one, we don't have another. And everybody in this world is important. So even you see that janitor there, every morning I see her, I say, thank you so much. Good morning. Good to see you. Everybody needs to be heard. If everybody can be heard, then we have less mental issues in the world today because so many people feel like they're on this island by themselves and nobody's there to help them. They just they just need you to throw a, a life support system to them. Just throw a line out to them. And that line is, hey, good morning. How are you doing today? So good to see you today. Well, I'm doing okay. Well, why are you doing okay? What can I, can I help you? Is there something I can do to help you, make you feel a little bit better? You know, and people ask me, Coach, how you doing? Now? I said, I'm doing unbelievable. Unbelievable. And they're like, I said, how'd that make you feel? They said, Coach, that made me feel good. Good. So there you go. Use that. I'm great. I'm awesome. Outstanding. You know, little things like that with good energy, and it makes a difference in people's lives. Yeah, George Raveling, I know uh, Phil's such a huge basketball fan, and, and I don't know if you know the story, uh, Phil, but uh, George Raveling was once asked, you know, uh, you know, kind of, he has a great attitude like you and, you know, he's always smiling and, you know, he's accomplished so many great things, but he's just such, you know, he just loves life. And he said, I only give myself two choices every morning, either to have a great attitude or to have a really great attitude. You know, those are the only choices he gives himself. So that's, that's fun to, 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 you know, to, to realize that each day is a gift and that we should be grateful for what we have instead of feeling entitled for what we, you know, we, we don't have yet. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, the example I give. I said, Hey, for every when you're not having a great day and it's a bad day, your your bad day needs to be better than everybody's great day. That's the way it needs to be. So, you know, if your mind ain't feel it, let your body take over. If your body ain't feel it, let your mind take over. Yeah, because sometimes you're right, action follows attitude and attitude follows action. That's right. That's right. Yeah, well, act that. as if is a is a uh, uh, is a long-term, you know, psychological concept is 
you know, like, just like what you guys are saying, it's, you know, sometimes it's easier to act yourself into way of feeling than to, you know, to, to well, if I'm feeling, yeah. I mean, if I'm feeling tired and weak, exactly. I'll go lift. And the other night, all I did was I did the old Nick Gill classic from the all blacks of 10 sets of 10 deadlifts with a bit of a focus on the eccentric. And that's oh. literally, that's literally all I did. And the next day I could barely walk downstairs and my hamstrings were killing me, but I knew it was going to happen. But I thought if I just do the dad workout, this, what I call an SBN, something's better than nothing workout, as long as it's high quality. <laughs> I love that. Um, and it was literally not very many minutes. I, I, I don't time it. I just go by breath. If I can nasal breathe, I, then I know my heart rate. And Chris Frankel did this like with the 120 protocol at TRX. Um, yeah. him, you know, I put him in touch with Brian McKenzie and they correlated. Brian would say, well, you need to be able to take, you know, seven second plus nasal exhales, you know, X number to know that your heart rate's back down. And Chris would say, well, I can measure that on my watches. Your heart rate is back down to 120, right? And then you're, it's the same thing, but I just don't measure anything. I just go on feel. But yeah, 10, 12 minutes, maybe, maybe 14 at a push in hmm. and out. And I felt like a million bucks after that thing. I did not the next day. But then I went and did swing. So it was more posterior chain and I just ruined myself. But the point being, I completely transformed my attitude and, and I completely elevated my mood and my energy level with a, you know, 10, 12, 14 minute workout. So in that case, attitude followed action. And sometimes it's vice versa, right? Yeah, it is. You know, we, we tell a lot of kids too. You know, Best way to recover, you know, we talk about sleep and eating, but the best way to recover for these athletes, not only from a physical standpoint, mental, is go on a 20, 30-minute easy walk at night, put a movie on mm. or put a song on and just go, man. Just clear your mind. Enjoy life. You know, there's situations where we've had athletes come in. I told them, you got a choice. You can either lift or leave. Whatever's going to get your mind right for come game day, do it. Do it. I'd rather sacrifice a lift to get the guy's psychological disposition right and their, their physicality right than to bury them in the ground again. You know, so again, there's that fine balance and being able to how to fine tune each athlete and, you know, teaching, treating everybody like a little individual, you know, how differently they are. No, I love that. Um, we want to be respectful of your time, coach. So if it's OK, I'll ask one more question and then I'll let Jim ask one more and then we'll wrap and let you get on with the day and hopefully soon get back to the family, too. But um, in college football, and you and I have talked about this quite a bit offline recently, your job security is tied to wins and losses and possibly injury rates of the players. So that's how success is defined. And that's how jobs are kept, jobs are gained and jobs are lost. In, in life now, where you are in life, and I'm not talking about IMG, where you are as a, as a man, as a follower of Christ, as a husband and as a father, how do you define success day to day? How do I define success day to day? For yourself, for your family. Yeah, well, well, when I, when I come home and, you know, being there and, you know, seeing my kids smile and having fun, going to watch my son, you know, play soccer, going out throwing football with my son or going to the beach and playing on the beach with the kids or, you know, watching, waking up in the morning one day, you see your daughter up early in the morning reading a book, um, you know, and then, you know, just, you know, hugs, hugs and kisses and love, man. I mean, that's just. That, 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 that's, we're winning. And me and my wife always say it all the time, you know, cause one time, you know, we got twins. So when one's on the other one's off. So, you know, when they're both on, we're like winning, we're winning today. We're winning. So, you know, that, that's, that's what it really comes down to. And, you know, I've reached out to people I've worked with and I've told them, I just worry about you. You're in the industry, you're on the hamster wheel and it's not stopping, but you know, the things that are stopping are your, 
wife and your kids at home when you're still in the hamster wheel. So when are you going to slow down and, you know, be with them and be where their feet are, not just where your feet are, but be where their feet are, you know, because I don't want you to lose those moments. I don't, we're never going to be able to hit rewind and get back what we want. We're never going to do that. So you better enjoy every single moment because before it's over with, they're going to be gone. Yeah. What is the stat? I love that coach so much. Um, that you spend like 80 something percent of the time you'll ever spend with their kids before they hit age 18. Yeah. That's scary, man. With an almost 15 year old and a 12 year old in the house, that's scary to me. Um, and it makes me regretful for, for being on the hamster wheel for too long, but it makes me thankful to, to have good friends and mentors like you and like Jim to try to provide some balance too. And, and that's challenging in a good way. So thank you. Thank you yeah. for that example. Well, we, we charge you for it though, Phil. <laughs> well, yeah, I know that too. The, the usual rates apply, right? <laughs> yeah. That's right. But, but just plus a tip, you, plus a good tip for Jeff at the end of the night, you know, you guys, there you go. Turn you guys just made my day with that final comment that, or that final little piece of, uh, of wisdom there is be where your family's feet are when you're with them. Uh, that, that's what, I, that, that, what a great way to end. Um, I appreciate everything today, Jeff. Thank you so much. Yeah, Jim. And I, I, I couldn't figure out, do not disturb on my phone. So my phone keeps falling and all this other stuff. So I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out this technology. So maybe one day y'all can come over and give me a little tip. Oh, no, no not, not, not us, man, or at least not, not me. Like I can barely use Microsoft Word. I need a dumb phone. Like there's this company out of Denmark um, that basically, basically oh. they, it's called Punkt, P-U-N-K-T. But they make a, a better looking version of the old Nokia brick phone. And all it does is it's an MP3 player. It has turn by old turn by turn navigation um, and it texts and calls. And that, and I need that, man. I need that. I hate this iPhone more than I can put in the words. So, no, not me. Maybe Jim, but not me. <laughs> I, I love it. Well, Jim, hey, Jim, I hope for one day we'll meet you in person. I know I'll see Phil yeah. sometime soon and as yes, he moves sir. down here to Florida and you know, love to stay in touch with both of you guys, man. Y'all are the best and what you stand for. And man, I, I was Jack. This is, this has been a privilege. It's been, Thanks, Hey, Jeff. this is my first, this is my very first podcast ever. Just let you guys know. So. Well, sorry about that then. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, it just goes uphill from here, right. Or downhill or whatever. Oh, but uh, Jeff, you're a, you're a Southern gentleman and a scholar. Thank you so much. Hey, Jim, it's a pleasure. Appreciate you. Thank you. Phil, appreciate you again, brother, my friend. Appreciate you, my brother. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends about the Champion Conversations podcast and rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your platform of choice. You can also follow Jim on Twitter at Gold Medal Mind. Go out and be a champion today, and we'll see you back here next week.